Get ready to challenge conventional beliefs about what's possible in creating health, wealth, and happiness. You are listening to Playing on the Edge Radio with Megan Edge. This hit show is providing you with ways of sustaining radical and powerful changes in your life. It is time to open and expand your awareness, accelerate your well-being as Megan shares wisdom, teachings, and experience from a lifelong journey of the heart. Enact the power of radical change with ease and lift your desires to a new perspective. Now, here's Playing on the Edge Radio. Hey, welcome everybody. Megan, it's so great. This is a powerful show and I really want to get to it from your perspective. Um, Maybe the way we start, I don't know where you want to start, but I loved what you posted on social media and I love the reaction. Today we're talking about on the edge of mask, M-A-S-K, hypnosis. Mm -hmm. Now this is something, you live in Canada, I live in the United States. Uh, where we have different governing bodies, so to speak, in a lot of ways. But you have been out there speaking with people, looking at science. Tell us why this particular show really hit you smack in the heart and why it's so important. Well, Pat, it's so important because it affects everybody. The, The mandates that our governments and the policies that our governments are putting into place to keep us safe, um, Some of them are are good. Some of them have shown to be very good. Some of them have shown to not be as effective. And as I've been doing my research on this, and I'll say this, I've done more research for this show than I have done for any show in the last 50 episodes that we have done. (laughs) I have looked at over 100, I'd say almost 200 studies. And I'm talking studies now. I'm not talking news reports. I'm not talking articles. I'm talking the actual studies, following the links through to the studies. I, I now speak study talk. <laughs> I don't know what half of it means, but um, I've done the, I've done the legwork I, because I want to understand, are we putting our efforts in the right places in order to be as effective as we can in coming to the goal that we are apparently looking for, right? I mean, the, the end goal, presumably, is to not have a virus that can spread quickly and can cause a lot of health issues for people, right? I mean, at the end of the day, is that not what we're trying to do? Yeah. If we are doing things that are creating more of a placebo effect that are are maybe psychologically helping us feel safer, but are in fact not by the science showing that they are making a difference, and we all want this to be done, we all want this to be done, then should we be putting our efforts into something else, something that we know from the science is more effective in limiting transmission, whether that's through behavior or that's through the things we actually do in our environment, like increasing ventilation, keeping windows open, and really understanding what are we dealing with here. And in order to do that, and and I know not everybody has the time or the inclination to do the kind of research that I've done with this and have been doing for the last two years. But if we can find an, if we can understand what we're dealing with, not in a sensationalized kind of way, but actually, again, Mm -hmm. what's the science telling us, then we can make decisions that make sense. Yeah. One of the studies I know you pulled up is one of the studies I was, I've been intrigued by for a really long time. And that is in Barter's work. Um, uh, 
and you pulled up an article. I think we know it as the prison experiment. Mm-hmm. I think they've even done a television like show on it at some point. Yeah. Uh, the latest version of that, by the way, is a hit series. I don't know what network it's on, but it's Korean and it's called the Squid Game. Oh, yes. It's another version of it, but it's the same yeah. idea. Well, it's, it's like, um, what's that one where they're on an island? Survivor. It's, oh. the, it's you know, Lord of the Rings, or not Lord of the Rings, um, Lord of the Flies. Mm-hmm. It's looking at human behavior and the capacity for us to turn on our family, our loved ones, our neighbors, and why we would do that, mm-hmm. which is part of what we're looking at today and using masks as an example not to pillory masks or their use and not to be judging anyone who chooses to or not to wear masks or anything like that. I want to be really clear. This is not personal in this episode as much as we can be impersonal in anything like this. But this is looking at really understanding what's happening at the psychological level and the way that we're treating one another and what's happening at the health level, the physical level. Mm-hmm. when we use the, when we implement these sorts of things. So the study that you're talking about was done uh, at a university and it was they what basically what they did is they mocked up a prison cell and they brought in volunteers and they told these volunteers they were going to be there for a two week span and during that time those that were chosen to be the prisoners and it was arbitrary who got chosen to do what yeah. would stay there for those two weeks and those who were chosen to be the guards would be allowed to go home. So really trying to mimic what it would be like in a prison. And they, they made sure that they vetted all the people going into this experiment to make sure that they didn't have any obvious mental instability or addictions or any of those sorts of things they were looking, which is sort of interesting. That was one of the critiques of the study because people who are going into an actual prison situation probably will have some of those things going on in their, in their lives. Let's be, let's be honest, right? Yeah. What was so interesting is how quickly the experiment completely dissolved and had to be stopped because of the way in which the people responded to their roles. Yeah. Really, really fascinating. Yeah. And there's a whole theory on role behavior, but that study is one of the most controversial, by the way, and pivotal ones to help us understand the aspects of human behavior. Now, the reason we're talking about this is because that's considered a mass hypnosis. Tell us about that aspect of the show today, because that's pretty much what goes on. Jessica and I just talked about the illusion of choice in media, because it's mass hypnosis mm-hmm. in media. You know, if you hear a commercial for a drug, many, many times, it's brilliant the way they do it. And I can't mention the name, but it starts with an H, it runs throughout the day. And it is a drug and they tell you how great it is. And for the last uh, 15 seconds, they rattle off the fact that some people may die from it, but you never hear that. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and uh, well, and that's something that, that Big Pharma has been accused of for many, many years. Um, and in fact, in Canada, there are regulations around what kinds of commercials are allowed that are advertising prescription drugs. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. And they do have to list every single side effect. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, and this is a little bit of a rabbit hole, and I'm sure we'll go through down a few of them today. Mm-hmm. Um, a mask is a medical device. According to the FDA, it is a medical device, which is a medical treatment. As such, 
a person who decides to use that medical device or that medical treatment must do so with consent. And they, and they must understand the consequences of their choice to do that, because as with every medical treatment, there are always side effects. But what we found, and what I've certainly found in my discussions in social media and also in my research, it's not well accepted to either point out what those side effects could be, health-wise, physically or psychologically, or to even ask about them. And that's where we start to move into the conversation about mass hypnosis. Mm. What on earth is going on where up to 30% or 40% of the population are unwilling, unable, or don't see the point in asking for the information so that they can make informed decisions for themselves? Mm. What is actually happening with that? And, and again, I've read another hundred or so articles and research studies looking into the psychology and the understanding of what is mass hypnosis. It's certainly not a new thing. There is a playbook um, and it was used by and has been used by a lot of totalitarian governments. And we can name, we can rattle off a few, Mussolini, Hitler, you know, the ones that we are really familiar with. Mm -hmm. it, it, it does happen, it does work, and it creates a population who tend to be fearful. Um, and in some ways, and, and this is not my wording, please understand this, this is the wording from the, the studies that I've been looking at. Um, become childlike in their dependence on the state. Mm -hmm. Which is funny because when you think of children, they ask a gazillion questions. So <laughs> that thought did pop in my head when I was reading that yeah. analogy. Well, but wait a minute. Yeah. It's maybe not, there's something that happens. Yeah. It's not really a good analogy. No, no. But maybe there's something that happens to adults when right. they have been given a sense of safety and security provided by their state and their authority. And then when authority starts to push on that, like we're seeing in our country and in the US as well around mandates and policies, some people start to wonder about it, but other people who have come into a place of complacency and a belief that the state should take care of them, go into this sort of mass hypnosis and don't yeah. see that that's where they're at. And I know there's going to be people who are going to be yelling at me about that. That's fine. Yell at me if you want to, but this is what, this is the psychology that we're talking about. I think it's fascinating. I just have been at the airport over the past four weeks on more times than I want to be and flights canceled. And at one point sat on a plane for a bunch of hours. Now, let's talk to your point. In the office, in our studios, we run a scrubber. Mm -hmm. That's a machine that pretty much kills anything in 3000 feet. Yeah. We also do something quite non-conventional, but in Japan, in Australia, it's very common. We use ozone to clean the air. We have yeah. an ozone machine. Many doctors will tell you that they use ozone to clean their gowns or whatever that is. But I'm not sure if that will stay in this show now that I said that, except the studies have shown that Absolutely. ozone mm -hmm. used properly really does the job, mm -hmm. does the job. Absolutely, it does the job. And yeah. yet, you don't really hear about it for this little deal going on now. <laughs> but I want to ask you this other question too, because I had something really odd happen in the airport. And I, I say it's odd now, but it really wasn't. I watched a young man, not too far from me in the little squirrel switchback lines, 
but I was fascinated by it. And I wish I would have done the same thing. His mask was really different. Mm -hmm. He decided, he found, and this is what he said to me, he found that the mask he was wearing was the more acceptable and protective device. And yet, I didn't think this kid was going to get through the line with it. It was literally like a gas mask looking thing. But he was talking about it. I mean, because I mean, I just thought, you know, okay, he's allergic to other masks. He had to wear a mask or he wouldn't be in the TSA line, right? Mm -hmm. He couldn't wear whatever the fiber mask was. And he had this other mask on that was completely protective, right? Closed up the little thing. And I watched this kid get hell for it. Mm -hmm. So it's not even whether you wear a mask. It's you can't even choose the mask you want to wear, so to speak. And you know, this is why you're talking about this today, because this is a different kind of prison study, isn't it? Yes, and that's a really good analogy, and that has been used. I've come across that in some of this, the research that I have been doing, is looking at, you know, what are our prisons in our daily life? And there are many people, very, um, it's a very emotionally charged conversation, um, but there are many people who come from this, or come to this from a very emotional place, and feel that they are in a, in a prison that has been put upon them for no fault of their own this idea of a mask mandate that everybody must be masked indoors and in some places even outdoors the thing about it pat and this is where i i'm just a very curious person and i want to understand why i'm being told to do something i want to take it apart and and really analyze it and understand if it's valuable or not mm -hmm. there's a lot of information swirling around out there about masks, what kind of mask, whether it's efficient, effective or not against viruses, what kind of virus, how bigger viruses, how smaller viruses, what is actually happening with the SARS-CoV-2 influenza virus, what do we now know about it? Mm -hmm. There's so much of that happening that it can be very confusing. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the psychology of illness, because I think we should skip the break and we'll go to break at the half. But this really rolls into something that you also studied for this show. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that for a little bit. I love the, the, the whole topic of the psychology of illness. And this is something I've actually been studying for decades, not just for this show, is really looking at what is happening to us when we get sick. Why do we get sick? And what is, what's this whole germ theory and what's this whole terrain theory? And germ theory and terrain theory, that can be another show. I, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now. But it's the understanding of at the moment... When we look at what's happening out in the world, there has been an enormous amount of fear generated in response to this, this particular virus, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, because of what we thought we understood about it or what we were told about it at the very beginning. So anyone who was already fearful of being ill, anyone who already had a belief, and I'm not judging the belief, let me again be really clear about that, um, because what we've been taught is that germs and viruses circulate in the environment and we are victims to them. I, I watched a really interesting documentary about viruses. Candace Bergman was the narrator. The language being used was so 
interesting. We are attacked. We are in constant battle with viruses are out to get us. They're smart. They can outsmart us. They're not. They're, they're pieces of genetic coding, if we even understand them to be like that. And again, what is a virus is another show. Um, but when that language is being used constantly, and we are bombarded with this idea and this belief that we are victims of illness, then we don't believe that there's anything we can do about it, unless we're given us something and said, this is the thing that will take care of it. Um, we have that belief that there's nothing we can do about it. And we are a victim. Mm -hmm. We embrace that belief. And then there's this whole other layer and level to it, which is the family dynamic. How as children did we learn that we got attention as we were growing up? What happened when we got a cold? What happened when we sprained our ankle? There's a whole other school of psycho psychological thought that looks at this so that as we become adults, now we have this programming of a sort that has taught us that there is a benefit to being ill. And I say this coming from a place of many, many years of being ill. So it's not, I'm not making fun of this. I'm not belittling it. But at an unconscious level, there is an understanding that there is a benefit in terms of attention that we receive when we are ill. And sometimes that attention is a good thing. We need the attention when we're ill. We're vulnerable when we're ill, right? I understand that part of it. But there's that other key piece of responsibility for our own health and well-being that most people, at least in North America, are not generally taught, mm. right? And so this whole thing churns around and really lends itself to a vast majority of the population, or at least in a large number of the population, becoming convinced that there is something to be afraid of and that there's nothing we can do about it, which creates a perfect breeding ground for the kind of behaviors that we're seeing now, whether it's about somebody wearing a mask or somebody getting the injection, there's this division that is occurring between those who feel like they're part of the solution and believe that those who are not doing those things are part of the problem or vice versa. It's a lot to unpack. It's a lot to unpack. And, you know, I'll tell you what I'm noticing in a trend that almost happened. Um, and it had to do with the passing of one of the most beloved. I just love Betty White. I mean, mm. honestly, ah, man, you know, there are some people, Megan, you think will be here forever. And, you know, she's one of them. And I watched the initial frenzy of her passing and it become highly politicized. And I was struck by two things. One, how quickly a rumor gets started and, and how it becomes viral in our world today. And that points to the fact that how difficult it is to get to the truth. Mm -hmm. See, right? Yeah. And, you know, the psychology of illness and is not the same as the psychology of wellness. Mm -hmm. They're not the same. No, they're, they're not. That's they're a really, not. really good observation. Yeah. yeah. And in the world that you live in, the world that I live in, I live in the world of the psychology of wellness mm -hmm. only because I've been in the psychology of illness with my own mystery disease in 2004. But the point is, 
how do we help people, Megan, make decisions that are going to work for them and now in the world we live in, work for others? I mean, I, I, I was sharing earlier, I was struck by how careful our family, right, on the East Coast has been. And I watched one not so careful act lead to another not so careful act lead to people close to me not well. And I asked myself, what could have been done to stop it? Mm -hmm. I don't really have an answer. I don't know how you know in the world we live in, these, these are working people. They go to work every day. They go to work. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to my financial guy about a month ago, and he's calling me from his office and he's saying, I got to go. I just got my COVID test and I tested positive. And I said, where are you? He said, well, I went into the office. See, this is the thing we're not talking about, right? And that doesn't have a whole lot to do with wearing a mask or not wearing a mask in some cases. I just don't think that we're using some of the good common sense that we would use otherwise. You know, I remember as a kid, my sister Joyce got the measles. Was it the measles? Whatever, whichever one. My mom made sure we all got it at the same time. I was a smart mom. Yeah. <laughs> That's Let's what have she a chicken box party. <laughs> and well, trust me, I, and I'm not comparing COVID with that. I'm just not. So let me be very clear. But there was a thing we knew about the actions we've taken. And that really leads to what this show that you put together is about. You know, not only the psychology of illness, but the psychology of behavior. And does it butt up against the freedom for us to choose, Megan? And that's a really key point in all of this. And one of the things I think is really interesting is if you look back two years ago, first of all, if you were sick, you went to work. It was an expectation. You just, you pushed through it. If you were sick, you went to school. That's how we got flu seasons and cold seasons. If you're, if you believe that that's a thing that we, that we do. Um, so you go to school because you're kind of sick. Mom has to go to work. You can't stay home. So you go, you know, you're not bleeding from an artery. So you go to school and you cough and sneeze and somebody else gets sick around you. Now, not everybody gets sick. That's also another show. Um, why do some people get sick and why do some people not get sick? But basically, if you had a cold, you sucked it up and you kept going. If you phoned into work to say, I don't feel well today and I'm going to stay home, your boss would probably say, get your butt in here unless you're throwing up, right? We had a very cavalier attitude towards illness, but we also had perhaps a very realistic attitude towards illness because a cold, to quote my father, sometimes a cold is just a cold. It's okay to get sick. It's okay to let your body have an opportunity to rest. But the other thing from two years ago, and I say this and I know it's going to sound cynical, I'm going to say it anyways. As a society, two years ago, most people didn't really care or give much thought to those that we are now saying are the most vulnerable people in our communities. Elderly people, let's be honest. Elderly people, once a person gets to a certain age and starts doddering about, we put them away. So we don't have to see them, deal with them, look after them. 
we do not have a culture that respects our elderly. That's not my opinion. That's just an understanding of how our culture works to the, de to the detriment of our elderly, right? So there's a lot of, I think, really good things that can come out of this psychologically in terms of understanding illness and our responsibility towards others, but also our responsibility towards ourself. And then when you start to add in choice, that becomes a really interesting dynamic and conversation in all of this, right? I know that I am perfectly healthy. Right now in this moment, sitting here in my chair, I am not carrying anything. I don't have a cold, I don't have a sore throat, I don't have a flu, I am healthy. So I am not a risk to anyone that I might encounter in the next couple of days. Somebody made a comment that, in one of my social media posts recently, someone made a comment that if a person doesn't feel well and they do have to go into society, then they should wear a mask. And that would be their responsibility to making sure that people around them don't get infected by whatever they may have in their breath. And I think that's a great idea. So if I, if I don't feel well and I have to go out into society, then trust me that I will put a mask on and I will be responsible. And if I do feel completely fine and I know I'm healthy, would you be willing to trust me that I don't need to wear a mask because you're not at risk for me? If what you believe is that masks actually make an, a large amount of difference which I will just tell you right now, the studies indicate that they actually do not. Hence my comment earlier, if this is not effective, let's put our energy, time and money into something that we know is. Hence the young gentleman on the plane that could have been on the show with us right now because he had <laughs> already done the research on it. And you know, what's interesting with him is I went and I did research when I got home about this. And what I found was, and I, I just want to be really clear about anybody that's monitoring this and, and, and just go online yourself, Google, if you're monitoring this or Facebook, and just look up full face masks for COVID. And if you do do that and you look them up, uh, and by the way, Google, you're actually printing them and you're showing them. So you must somehow think it's okay. Otherwise, why would we be able to Google search them? Just saying, Google. Um, but if you do look at these, you'll see that people have done what this kid done. Now, did. Now, why am I even bringing it up? Because I heard him in line you're going to love this, Megan. I heard him in line trying to tell them, all of them, how this was approved. He had papers. And how he said that the this, I think, was his downfall from a political perspective. How he shared that everybody else in the line was really not pr protected. Now, if I think if he would, he got through the line, they made him take off his mask. He wasn't going to take it off, but it was metal. And he wanted to go through the metal detector. So this is where we have gotten to now, right? You have a kid that I know he's a kid because he did have to take off his mask. And a young, a young, I'd say teenager, early 20s. And 
he was very scientific mm -hmm. with his argument. He brought papers. So obviously, this was not his first rodeo. So the question is, other than people pointing at you with the weird mask, right? It made all of us think, those of us that were close to him waiting to go, right? Mm -hmm. I happened to be fortunate enough to hang out with him in line, which is good. Didn't feel good about the mask I was wearing by the time he was coming. <laughs> so I put a second one on. There you go. That's that mass hysteria. But we cannot get the information we need regardless of what we believe. See, this is a fight for truth. When we come back, you're going to share some of the studies you did do, some of the research that is being done, because Jessica and I talked about it in the previous hour. We have got to have conversations that help us understand. You know, Covey said it best. Covey said, you've got to listen to understand, but you can't listen to understand if you're not allowed to debate, if you're not allowed to talk about how you feel or where you're coming from, if you're not allowed to say things that maybe are not in the FDA approval, but yet you know and would never put your child sitting in the grass in a tick-infested field in Virginia. You would never do it, especially after somebody took a white sheet and ran it through the grass. But yet, can't talk about it unless you go to ILADS. When we come back, it's all Megan Edge. And by the way, I'm telling you, full face COVID mask check out how we have fashionista the mask industry. We'll be right back. Does your life often feel like an emotional tsunami where rogue waves crash down on you, leaving you feeling hopeless and wondering if it will ever end? Do you wish to awaken the dormant strength inside of you? Imagine what it would be like to turn your pain into purpose. Start today by scheduling a complimentary consultation with Martinet. Dive into your healing journey and begin to see your life in a new light. Visit martineemmons.com and make your appointment today. You're driven and it totally shows. Your career is taking off. You're killing it in the mom game. But did your health needs make it on the plate this week? Tune into the Boss Up Babe radio show where Carissa Adkins helps babes show up, boss up and thrive. Every second and fourth Tuesday at 1230 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com become the boss babe you were meant to be. To sign up for one of Carissa's group coaching programs, visit 365dailyhustle.com. Tired of not losing the weight? You need a healthy solution for weight loss that protects your muscle mass as the fat burns away naturally. Holistic Medical Center has the healthy option for your weight loss concerns. Lose one to three pounds per day in 21 days naturally under our physician supervision. Call Holistic Medical Center 425-451-0404 or on the web drdarvish.com, D-R-D-A-R-V-I-S-H.com. We figured by the time we turned 50, we kind of had life figured out, but we were not prepared for the realities of midlife. Tune into And That's When I Realized, the truth and comedy of midlife with me, Susan Dolce. And me, Leon Dyer, every second and fourth Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. You're not alone in these challenges, and sometimes you just gotta laugh. Find us at SusanDolce.com and LeonDyer.com. 
Your own innate brilliance already lives inside of you. Come discover it so you can shine brightly in this world. Join me, your host, Adrian Cobb, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern during Wild Magic on TransformationTalkRadio.com and get answers to who you are and where you belong. To learn more about me and the show, visit MyWildMagic.com. Again, that's MyWildMagic.com. Hey, everybody, we'd love to hear from you. 1-800-930-2819. Megan Edge, this is Playing on the Edge Edge Radio. Megan, before we hop on, can you tell people again, uh, I know you mentioned that you're posting on Facebook and you're doing a bunch of other things, but we need to let folks know how they can participate with you. Sure, absolutely. Well, certainly there is Facebook. You can find me under Megan Edge or Megan Edge Healing is my business page. I'm also on Instagram. I'm also on LinkedIn, Megan Edge Healing. You can go to our YouTube channel. We've got hundreds and hundreds of videos all about wellness and empowering yourself in health, both psychologically and physically and spiritually. There's a lot of spiritual there as well. Um, I do have a private practice where I see clients in an intuitive counseling perspective. I do uh, energy work also. I've created a whole new energy modality called intuitive energy massage and all of that you can find on my website as well, which is I'm sure down at the bottom of the page. So there's lots and lots of ways that you can reach out to me and we can work together. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for that. Um, I, I, one of the things I want to, I want to say again, is that what we're talking about today, Megan has spent a lot of time researching and we're going to talk for a minute when we say researching, I, I want to I want to just let everybody know, I'm an academic person. So when I use the word research, I know what it's like to go through and pull notation after notation after notation in scientific and or psychological and or social study magazines or publications. So that's my perspective. Megan, I think it's important to talk about how you went about this, if you don't mind. Yes, absolutely. And also my background is as well in academics and my studies while I was at Dalhousie University included social work, women's studies, and geology. And I know they don't sound like they work together, but (laughs) just trust me, it was a lot of fun. So I I did a lot of research papers and I learned at a very early age how important it is to do our research. The way that I approach any research that I'm doing is to, first of all, just do that, that Google search or the, the DuckDuckGo search and put in those keywords for what I'm looking for. So if what I'm looking for is, are masks effective, I'm, that's what I'm going to put in. I'm not going to put in, are masks harmful? Because if I put that in, I know I'm going to get a lot of newspaper articles speaking about it. And that's not what I'm looking for, because what the newspaper articles are doing is disseminating the information that their researchers may or may not have done from potentially the scientific papers. I want to go back to the source. So what I'm looking for is either a well-written article by an established um, magazine organization or author who has credentials that I can can, um, validate and who is also within their article, including all the links to the studies and the source of the research that they themselves are basing that article on. Or, I might put in the words, are masks effective? And I may get more specific, like are masks effective for viruses? And then tag on the words PubMed. Because PubMed is a repository of scientific, peer-reviewed information and research on all kinds of topics from researchers all over the world. So by the time I get to PubMed, I'm now looking at a scientific study. Now, a scientific study doesn't mean that it's the God's 
golden truth. Scientists are human beings just like everybody else. And while scientists and anyone who's doing good research tries to be as unbiased as possible, of course our own filters are going to come through. So when I'm reading the research, I'm also looking for, is there an emotional component that has snuck in or is the person sticking to the data? And it's not that it's wrong that there's an emotional response because that can often be the motivation to continue looking for more information or what it is that motivates the person to do the study in the first place. But I'm looking for those studies that are collecting data and saying, here's the hypothesis, here's the result, whether or not they like the result, yeah. right? They're going to, they're going to show the result. So, so here's actually a result that I want to share with everybody just this morning. And this is, this I would call like the most casual research possible um, to do a poll on Facebook. But I was really curious because I have had a number of people show up over the last week or so helping me out. I've, I've asked for help. Help me find the research that says demonstrably, irrefutably, that masks are effective, that they're really doing for us what we're being told they're doing for us. And I have yet to find one. And I'm talking hundreds. And I put it out there because I want to have balanced information to look at this from both sides but it turns out in this case at least from what I have looked at so far there aren't two sides there is there is the information the the data the results and then there's the interpretation and the interpretation creates the two sides that we're seeing but anyways I put this poll out on Facebook and I and the question I asked was if your government and health authority told you tomorrow that this thing was this health crisis was over and that they were lifting all mandates, would you stop wearing your mask for the near future? I wanted to put that in there so there was a little bit of wiggle worm because I understand the second somebody says, hey, we're all good now, you might not be feeling 100% that, 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 that that's the case. And I wanted just a yes or no answer. Either just say yes or just say no. No conversation, no discussion. I understand there's variables, just the question, just answer the question. And what was interesting is that the results I got were not what I was expecting. I was expecting that more people would say, yes, they would continue to wear their face mask. I was expecting, or maybe it would be more balanced. But in this very small sampling of people, I think we've had 33 or 34 people respond. So far, 22 people have said no. And I've had now 10 people say yes, but with the caveat that two people made comments and, and were not you know, I'll, I'll do it here and I won't do it there. And so in any good study that actually takes their response out of the study because the study was just looking for yes and a no. So from that very small study of a random group of people on Facebook, some of whom are friends and colleagues of mine, some of whom I've never seen before in any of my feeds, we had an overwhelming majority of people say that they would not continue to wear their masks, right? Now that's not a scientific study. The science it's, it's a it's a poll it's and a we're, poll we're, yeah. and, and that's we're doing a lot of polls now i mean everything we do in politics is a poll mm -hmm. and that seems to be like what we look at yeah that's right and i wanted to put it out on facebook because there is a, a large body of people there um, not of not all of whom may be of like mind with me and i want that to be the case i want to invite those variables into the study so that it isn't just what i want it to say okay so when I did the research for the mask, and I've got all of the links, and if anybody wants them, or we can put them in afterwards, they're all there so that people can see the same information that I'm looking at. The CDC and the FDA 
from following their links in their research, what I'm finding is that all of the studies that they are basing their recommendations on are being done in a laboratory with a fake human head in a closed environment so that there are no other variables. There's no body heat that might help to raise aerosol droplets up. There's no wind. There's no person standing next to it. There, and, and, and all the studies say this. They say the, these are our parameters. And so based even on that in an, in an enclosed environment that's not real world data, what we're finding is that masks may, under certain circumstances, provide a small amount of resistance to the expulsion of air, but air goes through the masks and anything in the air particles land on the mask. Some go through and some, and some don't, right? And then they're looking at the different kinds of masks. So, you know, what about something like this, which is a clear chin mask? What about something like this little tiny thin piece of fabric all the way up to an N95? So, so they are doing the research, but they're doing it in a very closed environment. And so it's not giving us real world data. The one consistent thing that I have found in all of the, the discussion or the conclusions that are drawn from all of these, these testings, and these tests have been going on, not just because of where we're at right now, they've been going on for decades. This is not a new argument actually, or a new debate about the eff eff efficacy of face masks to help prevent disease. Mm -hmm. But what they all agree upon and this is also coming from the, the science around what is the SARS-CoV-2 virus and how does it spread and impact people, is that if a person is without a mask in close proximity to a person who is definitely infected with a viral infection of this nature in a closed environment, like a room that's sealed mm -hmm. with very poor ventilation, the chances are good that that person will get sick. They will catch it if they're susceptible to it. And as we know, not everybody is susceptible to it. That seems to be the one key point that all the research will agree on. Once you start stepping out of that particular very specific situation, the research is indicating, and this is the research, please understand, this is not my opinion, that the risk to someone's health, psychologically and physically, of wearing face coverings, with the exception of the plastic one, because you can breathe around it and you can see the person's face, is greater to the individual than the solution that it is supposed to be providing. Yeah. And I love that you're referencing the CDC because everybody, uh, and I want to encourage everybody to take a look at what we're talking about. One of the things I found very interesting and going back to the CDC update uh, and that's cdc.government, it's something we're not talking about, which is one little line. I love this. It's like a little line. And I thought about this because I play a sport and I play a sport that has a number of people from other countries and I found something interesting. They have created, my friends, silk masks. So I thought to myself, wow, that looks really cool. They're really comfortable. There's a little line. Uh, if you all go to CDC coronavirus 2019 
science briefs, whatever it's called over there. Go look. I love this. It says the following. I found this interesting. That some materials like polypropylene, they enhance filtering effectiveness by generating, I love this, electrical charges. Now we know electrical charges can kill things. That's why in our studio, we have a scrubber. And it enhances the capture, uh, uh, capture of particles. And then there's this little line. While others, e.g. silk, may repel moist droplets and reduce fabric wetting and thus maintain breathability and comfort. It's a small line. Mm. So what's my point? My point is many people don't spend the time that you and I spend to find that out. Now, we all know anybody that's ever put on silk, if you decide to use a mask, you know how comfortable it is. But there is a point to talking about this today. And the point that I want to get back to is the point you raised earlier. And that is the freedom of choice and what we can do about it. So let's get back to that. I, I know that through my own healing journey, I had to get informed. I was dying. And I had to get informed about the whole range of it, not just the pill, potion, or lotion, but these other things. So tell me, freedom of choice, can we do anything about it? Can we do anything about freedom of choice? Yeah. Well, we can choose. <laughs> I mean, I know it sounds like a dumb question. No, no, it's not. No, no, not at all. And I don't mean it. I don't mean to. Be but, but I'm referring to this. I'm talking about the kid in the in the in the line. Right. Well, and, if, here's here's the point. If if government is going to insist that this medical device called a face covering is effective, and and I would argue, I would ask how effective. Like, let's say it's 100% effective. And of course, nothing is, even the N95s. That's why it's called an N95, 95%. Um, if, if it is, let's say it's 95%. And, and we know, because we've done all the research, and the research tells us that, and this is also not what the research tells us, but let's pretend that it does, that the research tells us that um, a mask will 95% of the time protect you from this little tiny virus and we do have a sheet that, that looks at all, all the different sizes of things just to put it into context if if that's the case i still now this is me injecting my own personal thing here i still want to have the choice because one size does not fit all right i mean this we know this one size does not does not fit all if a person cannot wear that medical device on their face for whatever reason well, they should have another option or there should be compassion for that person or there should be understanding for why, right? If what we're looking at is government telling us we have to do something because it's for the good of everybody else and if for some reason we cannot comply, there, there has to be concession for that somewhere in the whole conversation, you know? What the research does tell us is that SARS-CoV-2 has a 99.98% survival rate. That is on the CDC website. Go and look at their scenarios page. You'll see it there. What the research tells us is that 
even and there was one chart that I saw that was a CDC chart that said um, if a person is wearing an N95 mask for 25, 24 hours, okay, so again, that's not real world data. Someone's wearing that for 24 hours, they have a 25% chance of getting ill. I think that's right. I will have to confirm that to be sure. But basically, it was these, these numbers that looked really impressive until you actually look at the way that the data is being presented, right? Right. Even if a mask could provide 50% protection in a real world situation like the grocery store, although there's been, I don't think ever an outbreak in grocery stores in North America. And I know someone's gonna run and check that right now and that's great, do it. Um, but let's just say it provides 50% protection and you have to wear it 100% of the time. Does that make sense for 50% protection? I want more, I want better than that. If an ozone machine, if better ventilation, if proper nutrition and hygiene and love in your life and all those other things that may sound woohoo actually give you better protection from illness, then shouldn't we be focusing on that? And especially when it comes to our children. The research that I've found about mask wearing in children, especially where they're wearing them for six or eight hours a day, it is absolutely heartbreaking, Pat. I knew it wasn't great, but I have to tell you and share with our audience, it is really, really not good for our children who have almost a zero susceptibility to this particular kind of a virus. And there's also lots of research um, around that, never mind the psychology of it. I mean, let's come back to the mask hypnosis. We need to see each other's faces. We are a social species. The research is outstanding on that. So I'm going to share with everybody, this is what I wear when I go out. And I've been wearing it for a year now because I understand how important it is to be able to see people's faces. And I want to be able to smile yeah. at them. I do have a study that says that this is effective just for anyone who is wanting to know about it. There are yeah. studies that are being done on this. <sighs> so the, you, can, you can tell by my voice, this is where I am injecting some of my own personal emotion when I see these beautiful little children and they're wearing these little teeny tiny masks. And what's so funny is that when I smile at them in that mask, they look at me and they follow me because they're not seeing it anymore. So the question is at the end of the day, psychologically and health-wise, does the response equal the risk? For me, that's the ultimate scientific question. Does the response of people, of government, all of that policymakers equal the actual risk? that we are living in right now. And, and I think that all is my, the all question. my research, the answer is no. Yeah, from all my research. I think that is the question. And one of the things that we have learned from 9-11 here in the United States is there is, like, there is a psychology of fear yeah. and a psychology of guilt. Um, if you talk to people especially after 9-11, young people. Um, you've watched them walk into a church and they're in the middle of walking down the front aisle, let's say, and this is a real thing. And they hear a loud noise. I've never seen kids hit the ground so fast in my life. Mm. The question is, and I think you're raising it, you know, we have the freedom to choose. 
but you have showed up today well informed. Mm -hmm. I think that's the missing link for so many. It, it is, and, and, and you know, we've done some shows on censorship, and I know that you, you had done one just before this, and we, we're re it's really very, very evident if you're looking for it, and you don't have to look very far. Go to the community guidelines on Facebook or on YouTube and see the things that we are not being allowed to discuss, speak about, ask questions about. How can we be an informed, non-fearful people if we cannot access the information without emotional overload, which is where we're all mm -hmm. at at this point. And, and also being told we can't, we cannot question the, the narrative. I, people have been mostly well-behaved as I've been putting things out on social media, but not all of it. And I've certainly seen out in public the kinds of ways in which people are treating one another around this. And the only, the only place, this is hysterical and I'll leave us on this, just, just to add a little bit of the ridiculous to all of this. And I think a lot of people are at the point now where they're really seeing where there are layers of ridiculousness. I've worn this mask into my doctor's office, into my dentist's office, into the allergist's office. I've worn it into every single store I've gone in for the last year. And there are two places where I have been turned away. Indigo Books in the mall, even though I've been in every other store in the mall and it was Christmas and there were huge lineups and tons of people around and the liquor store. <laughs> the liquor store. And that same liquor store I went in when I was with one of my clients, she's in a wheelchair and I was pushing her in the wheelchair and I had a scarf on like one of those necks yeah. and I yeah. put it up over my nose because yeah. I knew I wasn't going to be allowed in with my other face shield on. And someone's comes running at me and there's the whole finger shame thing going on saying, you can't be in here with this. And I said to them, yes, I can. No, no, you can't. I said, yes, it's covering my face. That whole idea of, you know, how, how are we, how are masks really working? Well, <laughs> it's something over my face. That should be enough. Manager had to come over. Manager finally said, it's okay. Yeah. The manager's I mean, making the decision, not a, not a doctor, not a scientist. Well, I mean, I watched it in the airport yeah. with, a, with a young man who had a mask that you would wear in Iraq. Mm -hmm. And because it wasn't either a NK95 or something, they literally had this guy take it apart to show him. And he brought his paperwork to your point today. You've been listening to Playing on the Edge Radio with Megan Edge. Tune in each month on Transformation Talk Radio and the Dr. Pat Show Network, providing you with ways of sustaining radical and powerful changes in your life. If you've missed any part of this episode or want to find out more about Megan Edge, visit her website at meganedge.ca.